before we get started on who are these men, uh, I wanted to go back to how and tell you how I messed up last week. Uh, I put a slide up there from <clears throat> from Vine's Dictionary of Old Testament, New Testament words, and it was about the vow itself, V-O-W, and it said on there, it's during a, a serious situation, it's voluntary, it is made to God, and it must be kept. But I went a little farther, and when I went a little farther, I had mentioned or indicated that Samson had committed the Nazarite vow by uh, voluntarily, and he didn't. He was assigned that by God through an angel before he was even born, so he didn't volunteer. And a kind brother came to me and straightened me out, which is good. And I challenge ladies, gentlemen in the crowd, test what I say, and if I do it again, which I will, <laughs> uh, please come to me. I'll consider you a friend and naturally a sister and a brother. So I challenge you to do that. All right, as we go to who are these men, if you've looked at the lesson, you know where I'm coming from. But before we go to this, I need to set a baseline for you, for you to be thinking about before we talk about these guys. First of all, when you go to Exodus, Exodus 6 and verse 4, here is God saying, like we had talked about earlier, I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. So God's saying, I made this promise to Abraham. And the promise was a great nation, a land promise, and what else? The Messiah, right? So here in Exodus, they've already been told, well, I put two other verses. Same chapter in verse 8, it says, And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Two times so far. I've only got three. The last one says out of uh, Exodus 23, 23, For my angel will go before you and bring you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and what will he do? I will cut them off. So the people have been warned and warned and warned, haven't they? Is that fair to say? So tonight, we come to these men. And probably when we see these men, we can't, we probably won't remember it um, after tonight anyway. It's hard to remember their names. But I don't think any of us name our children after these names. First of all, it'd be hard to spell. And then it'd be hard to say. And we know these men because of two that were added to it, or two that are part of it, 
which is Caleb and Joshua. We actually have people in the congregation with those names, don't we? Why is there 12? 12 tribes, aren't they? Not the Levites, but the 12 tribes. So that when you see these, if you go to, to Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 13, I might as well put it up there. Numbers 13 and verse 2. It says, and the Lord, in, verse, in the first part of the, verse of the chapter, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. And then what are the next words? That it's going to be a tough thing? That everything's going to go wrong? No, it says in the New King James, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you'll send a man Every one of every one a leader among them. On Tuesday night, if you weren't here last night, you missed it because Josh Slaughter did a great job on leadership to start our lessons out on leadership. They didn't say they were just gonna pick somebody. Who are they gonna pick? A leader within this. Not necessarily the head honcho, they might have been too old. But they're choosing a leader, not a manager, but a leader that's going to go out and look at this land and each tribe's going to be represented. That's, that's important. When you go over to Deuteronomy, a little bit different look here in Deuteronomy 1, verses 20 through 23. Deuteronomy 1, 20 through 23. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Same wording almost. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me, Let us send men before us, let them search out the land for us, and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up, and of the cities into which we shall come. And the plan pleased me, so I took twelve of your men, one from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains. So here it's telling a little bit different story, isn't it? It's telling us a story that they came to Moses and they wanted to go spy out the land, didn't they? God didn't stop them, did he? He let them go spy the land. Interesting part in this, in verse 8, when you go back uh, in here, we see that Joshua is listed as um, from the tribe of Ephraim, but they, your Bible might say Hoshea, H-O-S-H-E-A, or O-S-H-E-A, which, according to the lexicons, means salvation. So then when Moses is sending them out in verse 16, what does he change his name to? Joshua. So there's a change of his name, and 
that means Jehovah is salvation. So we see a change in name. We see the people going out. Any comments about the leaders being sent out? Any comments about the 12 tribes? There will be a short test on these 10 names on spelling. So uh, hopefully you can get it. When these spies were sent out, if you go to chapter 13, you can kind of go through it with numbers. They're given a, a kind of a roadmap. What do they need to do? Well, what is the land like? Uh, is it hilly, probably? Or is it flat? Is it something we can traverse? We don't know exactly. Whether the Canaanites and the way most people have looked at this is they've said these Canaanites, when they refer to them, it means all these tribes. So it's an inclusive part. Are they strong or are they weak? You know, are, are there a lot of them? Are we going to have to really buckle down with our 600,000? Whether the land is good or bad, whether it can... Um, there's camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not for the trees, for building. And also, let's bring back some fruit. We know that they brought back some fruit, didn't they? Well, when you see this and you see the charge, how many days were they out? 40, right? So they were gone a month. Well, if you go to chapter 13 of Numbers, I'm still in Deuteronomy. Uh, Chapter 13, and we've gone through verse 20 there. If you skip down to verse 26, or really 25, they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. So we get the picture that they've been gone for 40 days. When they come back, they're in front of the full congregation. And we'll go to that in a minute. You know how we always kind of go to the end and we say there's a kind of what's in it for me. I'm kind of starting off with that instead of at the end. If you go over to page, let's see where I put it, uh, page 14 of the book, there's a reference in there to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6. And I wanted us to look at that first. Because when you look at that, there's five alls in there. And when you look at these five alls, it's making reference back to what's happening here. Verse 1 says, all of our fathers were under the cloud. Now remember, Paul's talking to the Corinthians here. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. 
And then there was one other catch to this, one through six. It says they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and what was that rock? It was Christ, wasn't it? So here's Paul making a reference, and we know that when we go to this reference, the, the bottom line on, on when we come to this reference is these things were what for us for learning? An example, weren't they? Well, when you take this a little farther and you see that these five alls, first of all, you see the cloud. And, and we talked about the cloud even on the introduction. The cloud, when it moved, what would the children do? They would move. So it was not only guidance, but it was protection because it was the Lord, correct? When we refer to you and I as Christians being in the kingdom, there's a protection there, isn't there? So Paul's getting to that. When they went through the sea, God made safe passage. An interesting story about that with the safe passage, it also refers to the fact that Israel was baptized unto Moses. So they were separated from the enemy, just like we are separated with baptism from sin, aren't we? I saw a short little paragraph, and I'm going to make it even shorter. A professor said to the people that he didn't believe this, didn't believe that God divided this sea. He said there had to be six inches of water. And they just tapped through there, even though it says they went through dry land. Student in the back of the class says, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Professor kind of goes, what do you mean? He says, well, six inches of water killed all those Egyptians. Doesn't matter, does it, with the Lord. He's going to take care of what it is. When you look at into Moses... It's really referring to a direction or a goal, meaning that God had used Moses as a deliverer for these people. And as the deliverer, they're going to look at him as what? The leader, aren't they? We do the same thing when we're separate from sin through baptism. Who's our leader? Common sense, isn't it? It's Christ. When you go and look at the spiritual food, God provided them through this time that we're talking about where they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. He provided manna for them to eat. The Lord provides us the word of God. And Jesus says in John 6 that what is he? I am the bread. So I'm taking care of you. On the spiritual drink, Two occasions, they were thirsty, they murmured, they complained about the food. And in John 4, with the lady at the well, what did God say, What did Jesus say? I'm the living water, aren't I? You won't have to worry about being thirsty anymore. You won't have to worry about being hungry anymore because I'm the bread and I'm the water. Well, the spiritual rock, it's important here for us because what, they, what Paul says, that rock was with them in the wilderness, right? What does that tell us? Pre-existence of Christ, isn't it? The deity of God. 
is out there. And we know from different verses, in fact, we'll go to Deuteronomy 32 since we're in the Old Testament, God is called a rock. And we know that Christ is the cornerstone, isn't he? When you go over just into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32.4, I'll start with verse 3. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So, Here's an analogy that he's doing. But now Paul makes a contrast. He's gone from all to a contrast, but, but, and what does that usually tell you? There, there's a result here, isn't there? There's some kind of change. And the change happens that it says God was not well pleased. So, He's let them out, right? He's with them. He's, they've seen the plagues. And if they put the blood on the doorpost, they lived, right? So they saw that. They go through the Red Sea, Mount Sinai. They're, they can almost see the promised land. And he's told us all these things. But now he's saying, after God did all this, what happened? He wasn't well pleased because what? They weren't going to obey him, were they? They weren't going to do what they needed to do. Paul's telling us something here that happened to these people that we need to think about. That there's a possibility... That salvation won't be for everyone, will it? And the possibility that even though you're a royal priesthood or a chosen generation, you could still what? You could still fall, couldn't you? And when you think about this falling, you can even refer back, and I didn't put it up here, and you're going to look at me like I have two heads But baptism isn't going to guarantee your salvation, is it? You ever thought of that? These people in Corinth kind of thought that. It's not going to take away, baptism's not going to take away temptation, is it? Or persecution. It's not going to keep us from falling away, is it? These people were a chosen race, a special people to God, And they fell away. The majority. Why? Unbelief, right? If we have that unbelief, baptism's not going to guarantee heaven, is it? That's a situation that, as Paul finishes this, that's why he gives us this example, doesn't he? This is why he gives us the Old Testament to help us to understand that it's a total picture for salvation, isn't it? It's a total picture from Genesis to Revelations, isn't it? Revelation. 
My, my son would kick me for that. The bottom line is being saved is action-oriented, isn't it? The action is obedience, isn't it? And the action is perseverance to keep the faith, which they didn't do. And we'll see this as we go on. Any questions on 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 6? I kind of gave you the what's in it for me at, at the front for us to think about. Yes, sir. It's even more sobering when we realize that their baptism, once they came up out of the Red Sea, uh, just like us, they were no longer slaves. They were now going into the land that was promised them, just as we're promised heaven. Uh, but there is a commitment. There is action. And the sobering thing is that even though those estimated one to two million people uh, were no longer slaves, they were still slaves to sin, and only two of them received the reward, which really uh, rings out uh, Jesus telling us about the narrow way, just how narrow it can and end is. Two-tenths, one-fifth, right? And when we look at that, we look at the Egyptians as sin. And that was taken away with the water, wasn't it? Just like Bruce said. And here they came through. I sometimes, and I give the Pharisees a little bit of slack sometimes because they learn the law, but I have a hard time giving these people slack after you've seen all of the plagues, you've seen the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, and Moses is the leader. <laughs> and it's obvious that God is directing, and they still, you know, created a problem. Yes, sir. They had God uh, right before them just as the Pharisees did, saw the signs and wonders of God uh, as the Pharisees did and as we read about. Uh, and still there are those who don't believe. Just uh, he had said at first, if you didn't hear him, he was talking about Thomas, that others believed and they haven't seen, but Thomas had to see, didn't he? Well, let's look at these guys. Let's look at their attitudes and actions. And I, I'm dividing them 10 spies versus two, meaning the bad guys that I can't say their names and Caleb and Joshua. First of all, if you noticed in, in the booklet, I had put in there that we must uh, look at ourselves and have foresight that we're not defeated. When you think about that, these children of Israel, they started off with defeat, didn't they? From the very beginning. When you go on over to, to um, the 16th um, page, we'll talk about that in a minute, but here they basically gave a good report of the land but what they said is, 
And I'm paraphrasing, we can't do it because they're giants, right? And because what do we look like? Grasshoppers, don't we? And we've heard, excuse me, lessons on grasshopper faith. And they saw the land. I've shown you the three verses out of Exodus. God told Moses, send them out to the land I'm going to give you. And yet they come back and they're not thinking of of the Lord being involved. They're worried about the giants, aren't they? We can't take this land. Well, when you turn over, and and I put it in here, to Matthew 14, we're not going to read it all. I'm going to go to it a little bit by little bit. When you look at that chapter, John the Baptist is beheaded. Not a good scene. Then Jesus feeds the 5,000. And after he feeds the 5,000, he tells his disciples, go ahead and get in the boat. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the multitude. When he does that, he walks on the water to them, doesn't he? And it's, I kind of take that the wind is blowing and there's a lot going on. And they're, when they see the Lord walking to them, they're a little bit concerned. But guess who speaks up? The impetuous one, right? Peter. If that's you, Lord, let me come. Lord says, come on. I always ask, wonder what happened to the rest of the guys in the boat. They're probably looking like this. So Peter starts walking to him. And as he's walking, he takes his eyes off the Lord, doesn't he? When you and I take our eyes off the Lord, what happens? It's not pretty, is it? So he starts sinking. Be pretty cool to walk on water. But not when you're sinking. And what does he say to the Lord? Does he say, I took my eyes off of you, kind of went the other way? I took the wide path. No, he said, what we all say, save me, didn't he? Lord reaches out and saves him. And what does he say to Peter? He brings him back to reality and says, oh, you of what? Little faith. And then he says something that these people were saying that were defeated. Why did you doubt, that's what the New King James says, me? You know, when we go in to battle as Christians, because it tells us to put on the whole armor of God, if we walk in without the sword of the Spirit, we, we don't have our only offensive weapon, do we? If we go in with the idea we're defeated, that says we're not believing in the Lord, isn't it? Saying that he's not part of this equation. And that's what they did. They forgot what it says, as you would think in Philippians 4.13, I can do how many things? All things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Any comments so far on defeated? Yes, sir. Magneti- uh, magnified by their attitude, so uh, whether that's fear or discomfort or um, you know selfishness, it, it magnifies that unbelief, and then they turn from God. You know that's that's a good point. It's it's almost that they build off each other, don't they? And I'll show that in just a second with one of them. Anybody else? The um, second part I have on here is talking ab- about fear. And, you know, fear's a reality for people. These guys that go out, they almost brought it in first, didn't they? This fear rather than saying, well, we have good land, but I'm worried about it. And it's it's... Just like was said, fear follows doubt, doesn't it? And fear can paralyze us to the point that we don't do what we should be doing, should we? Because what have we done? We've taken away the idea that we can pray to our God, we can be concerned about things and go to God in prayer, but if we have that fear, what happens? Are we really praying, knowing he'll take care of us. They didn't even think about God through this, did they? <laughs> and when, when you think about this fear, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and what else? A sound mind. So if we have a sound mind, We're going to study, aren't we? We're going to see what he wants. We're going to see what he wants us to do and how he wants us to follow. And like other people have said in this class, love is important. And we need to understand that that God loves us enough to take care of us, doesn't he? He took care of them. Any comments about fear? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. That's the best point of all. I don't know if you heard what what she said. They should have been fearing God, and that's true. They should have been trembling at God. Anybody else? Well, I put this in here a little bit as uh, something that they did that I think takes over a lot of times, and that's called emotional tactics. Last night, Josh made a, made a comment about not having elders at a congregation. So how, how did you have to handle that? You had to handle it with a business meeting, didn't you? And when you say business meeting to most elders, they say it's blasphemy, which I agree. But when you have a business meeting, what ends up happening a lot of times is emotional issues, doesn't it? Rather than really seeing what the problem is. And these 10 spies were masters at it the way they started out. And when they started out this, this particular uh, issue, remember, they are leaders from 10 tribes. 
So you've got to think that there's some people up here just waiting to see what they have to say and probably a big gallery of people from each one of these men. And these guys say, we can't do it. What what are you going to say? We can't do it. And it just gets louder and louder and it propels on. And And it's struck terror in the hearts of not 10 men, but how many? Thousands, didn't it? And when it when emotion takes over, it takes over good, sound, biblical reasoning, and people close their minds to the Bible, don't they? They forgot that the Word of God can, can set you free. Well, to kind of go with, with what we've been saying, how did they handle this? Well, first of all, they handled it with mourning. If you look at chapter 14 of Numbers in verse 1, it says, here they had seen, they've already told them in verse 33 of the chapter before, we saw giants, uh, we're like grasshoppers. Um, Caleb has already said, let's go get them. And they're fortified and all this. Then does it say that 10 people started crying? No, it said all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept for 15 minutes. Is that what it says? All night. So here we are that we're upset that we can't go into this land that we can just about see and it's normal to be upset to the point that you're crying and upset. But you know what they're doing? This leads us to something else. It leads us to murmuring. That when they stop crying, what did they want to do? Let's blame it on somebody, right? Let, let's take this away from us crying all night and let's blame somebody for it. It's not my fault. It's not my 10 guys' fault. So then when you look at uh, verse 3, I've got up there 2 and 3, and all the children of Israel murmured, this is verse 2, against Moses and Aaron. So at this point, they're not saying, Caleb and Joshua, who are they going to? We're upset with Moses and Aaron like they've been before. So now it's gone from crying to, to going against the leadership, murmuring against the leadership. And when, when you look at this, what does murmuring mean to you? Complaining? We might use the word grumbling. It might be in your Bibles, grumbling. So now they've gone from being upset to blaming Moses and Aaron. When you go to verse 3, why has the Lord brought us to this land, now they've included the Lord, to fall by the sword that our wives and children, going back to, to your family, should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? 
So here is a group of people that God is taking care of, water, food, and what do they want to do? Let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to making bricks, right? No different than some of the Christians today, is it? You will see somebody upset, but then they're wanting to blame somebody else, and they blame the Lord, and they blame the elders, or they blame the deacons for what's going on rather than looking at themselves. No different, is it? Well, this leads to something else, and it's kind of the end result. If you look at verse 4 of 14, it leads to rebellion. It says in verse 4, So they said, and this is the whole congregation, to one another, let us select a leader. Some of yours might say, let us select a captain or something like that. And what are we going to do? We're going back to Egypt. So what are they saying? They're saying that all that Moses has done, all that Aaron has done, all that God has done for him, doesn't matter. Let's go. When, when you see emotion go to rebellion, we've all seen it, haven't we? <laughs> Any comments about this? Yes, sir. Nehemiah 9 and verse 17 makes a comment about that, that they refused to obey. Neither were they mindful of God's wonders that, that he did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they did appoint a captain uh, to return to their bondage. But he says in all that, God was still uh, merciful to them and didn't forsake them. And, and that seems to be their pattern. Hebrews uh, 3 and verse 19 says... The reason they were left in the desert was because of their unbelief, even at what they saw. And you know, through all this, even when we studied Isaiah, God would always say that he's basically going to save what? A remnant, wasn't he? A remnant of people. But yet, they use these tactics. One more, which is the unbelief for these ten spies, which we've kind of alluded to, and it sums up, and I've got Hebrews 3.19 up here. It says, so we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. And when you get a chance, if you go to Hebrews 3, start at about verse 17 and read through 19, and it'll talk about that. They'd seen God's power. They had seen his miracles, and, and they should have been afraid of God, shouldn't they? They should have turned and said, we have trust and rely on God, and they didn't do it. In Romans 8, 31, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? But their unbelief, you know, lack of faith showed that they didn't care. Well, we've got to take the time to get to the two spies here we see Joshua and Caleb, they're different. Um, you even see that God says that Caleb had a different spirit. They have a dis different disposition, a different focus, a different attitude 
with God and what his works are and the importance of God. And they didn't care about the majority here, did they? They both stood up. I always found it interesting that Caleb was the first one to speak. And then Joshua, and some people have said, well, Joshua was close to um, Moses and was going to be the next leader, so he's going to let somebody else run the you know, run the show, but I think both of them were strong in what they were doing. And when you look at them, if you look at Numbers 14, verse 6, what's the first thing they do? You might read in your Bibles, they rent their clothes, or they tore their clothes, or are they just getting naked? What are they doing this for? Great sorrow. Concern of what's going on. Concern directly into their hearts. And when you look at that, it's a a symbol of the torn grief in their hearts. A summary with them tearing their clothes that here's an opportunity. We can go into the promised land, which God's already promised, and he's given it to us. What are you doing? What's going on here? And we see that these two men, you see a lot on, on what they're saying, too, that after they've torn their clothes, they give their speech, and here they are. What do they say? The land is good. They, re- they recognize the power of God when they're, when they're telling their part of it. They recognize the necessity of the favor of God, of being afraid of God, don't they? And also the necessity of submission to God. And bottom line, after you've taken God out of the equation, the people we're going to are weak. Let's go do it. Well, after they've said this, it's pretty bold, two men doing this, but it shows confidence, doesn't it? It shows an attribute that says, what I'm saying is not the majority, but it needs to be said, doesn't it? It's also showing courage that here is this land, we can take it. It's also showing faith. Faith in God that what we're doing is God set up, isn't it? He told us to do it, let's do it. And when we really come down to it, it's action-oriented, but it's godly action, isn't it? So all those attributes are there. Well, what was the result of Joshua and Caleb's speech? Congregation says, let's stone them with stones. So did they stone them? No. Lord took over, didn't he? And he basically said, this isn't going to happen. These people are going to die in the wilderness. They deserve to die. They didn't do what's right. They, all these actions, don't, don't blame Joshua and Caleb. You're going to be taken care of. So the bottom line for us is there remains a promised land of rest for us. Who are we going to follow? The ten spies or Joshua and Caleb? Who are we going to serve in spite of 
of danger and hardship and persecution. Who are we going to serve, even though it's not the most popular thing, is it? Just like it wasn't popular with these people. Or our friends don't feel this way, they think different. Or others are having fun with sin. If we wholly follow the Lord, we can reach the promised land and we will influence for good now and forever. Any last comments? There you go. There you go. I had that up there, didn't I? One time already? 831? Yeah, I think I did. Thank you for your attention.